1: hello and welcome to our ufc 263 post show i'm john pollock joined as always by phil Sharetalk, who is here with us to share all of his thoughts all of his knowledge and even a little bit of wisdom hello phil hi john uh it's a pleasure to talk to you two times in one week well you know what you can never you can never have enough of john pollock in one week can you I, I totally agree. I, I definitely don't get enough. I mean, there's on, definitely a left? limit. There's definitely a limit, as, as many listeners, I'm sure, can attest to. But tonight, <laughs> or should I say this morning, we are coming at you at the bright hour of one thirty a.m. Eastern time, Phil, because tonight we got an unexpected special because <laughs> we got two championship fights and a five-round fight. Why? Just because. But to their credit, uh, also provided one of the most uh, exciting moments maybe of the year in the closing seconds of Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards. So I'm not, I'm not going to complain about that fight being five rounds given that 60 seconds we got at the end.
0: Absolutely. I- I'm pretty sure uh, that's going to be a fight of the night. Uh, the star power of Nate Diaz was on full display um, throughout uh, the whole fight and his post-fight uh, speech. And uh,
1: But we will get to that uh, a little bit later. This was a really interesting card when we were going into it. I mean, we had two championship rematches that I found to be interesting in their own ways. I think that with Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori, I think that it was, you know, th- this was not, I think, the, the middleweight title fight that if you were looking at that 185-pound division uh, would be your first candidate to be. Fighting Israel Adesanya. But nonetheless, I I thought they did actually a terrific job at the press conference in uh, getting that that last minute buzz. And for the flyweight fight, Phil, I think anyone that had bought that fight back in December was sold instantly on the promise of a rematch.
0: Absolutely. Uh, um, And we already mentioned the star power of Nate Diaz uh, being a draw here. I think there was quite a bit of pent up demand. Uh, It had been quite a few weeks since the last pay-per-view and there was a gap where there was no uh, MMA events on at all. So uh, I think there was a lot of anticipation um, and star power to make this a very successful event.
1: Unless everyone had only so much money budgeted this month and they blew it last Sunday night. Uh it, it,
0: that you know it's a fair question but it just it doesn't seem like it just seems like people's pockets are endless at, 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 with these things because there's a new event every week to take at least $50 out of your pocket and there seems to be millions
1: of people willing to pay it. Well, I certainly would be looking at at this card as uh, the more value for your for your dollar, but but who am I to say? Uh but no, I think that this card It'll be interesting what the number does because I think uh, Adesanya has now been able to establish himself as a pretty significant deal. And when you couple that with Nate Diaz, um, this one, it it will be very interesting what the number is, like what the the appetite was for a card. Also at a time when, you know, the big show is coming next month. But this one, like you had two big stars on this particular card.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, not the extreme, not not marquee fights, I
1: would say I wouldn't say like it's it's like a I don't think they had opponents that are necessarily going to be reaching out to that that viewer that's maybe buying two cards a year. I don't know. It, It really was on the back of, you know, one side of the bracket for each fight.
0: Yeah. And, I, and, you know, Israel Adesanya, you know, his star is still building. Um, of course, coming off of a loss, how much does that affect you? But sometimes that brings even more intrigue. How is the champion going to respond after his first setback? And, uh, the unofficial barometer of, uh, pay-per-view success is the Discord. And it was very active tonight. I mean, there was a lot of people there, a lot of new people. Uh, even we even got, we're honored with a few appearances by, uh, Joe Poe himself.
1: Yeah, I know it's, uh, you know, I I try to make my my cameos here and there. They're they're, they're actually perfect. It's it's the perfect touch, John. Well, let's get into UFC 263 from Glendale, Arizona, uh, which, I mean, this is more than, well, this was a trivia answer. The fact that the very first fight between Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori taking place in this very same arena back in April of 2018. We fast forward, though, three three years and two months later. And I thought this was a shutout by Israel Adesanya, Uh, Marvin Vittori, number one, his uh, just physical uh, appearance in this fight, Phil, like he came in and uh, this guy looked like he was auditioning for the light heavyweight division. And they kind of speculated on the broadcast, like, was this Marvin Vittori looking at Jan Blachowicz and what success he was able to have with Adesanya? I I would counter that thinking that you know Israel Adesanya um yes was taking on a much larger opponent in in Jan Blahovic but that also required Israel Adesanya I think to not drastically increase his size but I think you had to somewhat substitute a bit a bit of your speed going up to fight Jan Blahovic and this to me was you know uh Adesanya that was largely fresh for five rounds and Marvin Vittori, who just tired very early on in this fight and was very limited in his strategy that was you know figured out pretty easily by Adesanya. and that's what we got for 5 rounds.
0: Yeah, Adesanya came in a little bit light um uh, for he was the 183
1: limit. and a half like yeah. well under the limit.
0: So uh it, well look if you if you think about the lessons from uh the uh, first fight and even the his last fight with uh, Jan... Uh, you know, he got a little bit tired in that one. And I think it, it was clear that cardio was a big factor for him in this one. And he was fresh throughout, as you already mentioned.
1: So, I mean, with Marvin Vittori, if you had watched the first fight, it's the third round he has his success. That's the round he clearly wins. And it was off of the takedowns he was able to get. And it seemed to be a strategy of threatening Adesanya with these takedowns, which you could clearly see the evidence of Adesanya's preparation for this uh probably expedited by the lack of success he had with with Blahovic. and I thought Adasanya he was taken down in this fight but he was able to show some great reversals and they were never a big issue in this fight and it just seemed like Vittori that was sort of the bread and butter here like he he got his strikes in but at the same time left his legs open for 25 minutes that got lit up by who was the quicker of the two, just so much more dynamic. He was routinely throwing uh, front kicks, landed several head kicks at varying degrees of significance. And perhaps like the, the harshest critic of Marvin Vittori was Rafael Cordero in his corner, that after each round was informing his fighter, you are not winning this fight. You did not win that last round. And the speech that he gave in between rounds four and five was, I mean, it was the most impassioned plea of, "Listen, this is your last chance to, to finish this fight and do what you feel you can do. Get this motherfucker out." And Marvin Vittori could not. I had a fifty forty five scorecard for Adesanya. Did you see any round for Marvin Vittori?
0: Uh, I was, I was, I wavered on the first round a little bit. Um, and I, I gotta say, I, I hadn't decided, and you cut to the corner, and Cordero was already so pissed off that it made me type in Izzy. But I thought, uh, that one was, uh, Vittori did okay. He had some shots to the body, um, and he wasn't getting pieced up like would happen throughout, uh, the later rounds. So that one was the closest. I still am fine with giving it to Izzy, um, because he was more active than Vittori in that round.
1: Yeah, that was um, a round that Vittori certainly landed his, his fair share of, of shots in. I, I gave out Asanya the round based on the leg kicks, and then he finished the round with an uppercut. Uh, but then it just seemed to be Vittori. It was, you know, you, you can see when when guys come in, and th- this was similar with, with Damian Maya. that Damian Maya had a clear, in his mind, path to victory, and it was built around getting... Getting Bilal Muhammad onto his back, and when that fails, it you have one of two options. You can either <laughs> you can either change your game plan and realize, okay, I need to find path B, C, or D. Or I can just keep trying over and over and over again until plan A, I can force it. And what happens is you tire yourself by repeating this, and your opponent is just gaining that much more confidence by stopping all of these takedowns and is wearing you down in the process. I thought that was the case here with Marvin Vittori, and th- this was a fight that... Um, as well saw several fouls by Adesanya in the third round, both an eye poke and kicked him low. Uh, But I mean, that gave a bit of a reprieve for Vittori to kind of get it, get his win back. But this was, you know, a very solid performance from, from Adesanya. I would say it kind of uh, erases the memory of Blahovic. I think this gets him back on track at 185 pounds and, you know, not the most um, exciting fight in the world, but, a pretty solid win by Israel Adesanya, which made it even more comical. Phil, after when Adesanya conveyed to Joe Rogan that Vittori, after this fight, still believes he won. So, I mean, you cannot knock the guy's self confidence.
0: Uh, well, I think you can in this case because uh, it's uh, as the as Anik pointed out, it's it's not borderline delusional. It's delusional. There's no <laughs> rational way that you can look at this and say that he won. Your coach was telling you throughout the fight that you were losing. And then at one point, I think it was in the second round, Cordero was like yelling at him. And then like Vittori goes to another coach and like, is he telling the truth? Is he saying, is that for real? And the other coaches, yes, you're losing. Yes. Get on track. But he couldn't figure it
1: out. Maybe, uh, Marvin Vittori, uh, could, uh, go work with, with Mike Perry. And then we could get the, uh, the corner advice, uh, or the, the team of Vittori and Latori.
0: That would that would be more entertaining than his performance tonight. So sure. Yeah, let's let's book it.
1: That was the Has fight. 50-45, he... 50, 50, 45, 50, 45, 50 45 for Israel Adesanya. After the fight, he was asked, uh, first of all, he, he dedicated this fight to his teammate, uh, at City Kickboxing that was recently killed. Uh, Brad Riddell also brought him up. Uh, he put the, the belt down. It was a pretty emotional speech he was giving. Uh, but then he kind of shifted back to business and was asked what he wants to do next. And, he wants to fight Robert Whittaker again, but wants to do it in Auckland, New Zealand, and they're going to do it on his time because he's the motherfucking king.
0: Well, I mean, he may have to, you know, negotiate something with the government of New Zealand who may have something to say about that. So it might be on their timeline as well. But uh but look, if, if, if the COVID situation can clear up within a reasonable amount of time, six months or so, then yeah, do that fight there. Um, but if, if not, like, why delay? I mean, unless, you know, of course, you know, it's easier said than done with two week quarantines and, and the like. So, uh, but I think it's the only fight to make in the division. So it might be one that you do in Vegas.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's just – with everything opening up, you have to imagine, Phil, that places like Vegas, for instance, I mean, they're going to be starved for live entertainment and I think they're going to go very aggressive after big events. And I think the UFC certainly qualifies as that. That um, You know, it, it sounds nice to go to Auckland, but, I mean, there's just so many other financial considerations. Like, there's a reason your, your largest fights uh, go to Vegas. So I could certainly see them um, – you know, making it worth their while that they they stay here and do that fight somewhere somewhere in the US.
0: Yeah. But we'll I see. Mean, it, It'd it, be a cool yeah.
1: scene to do it in New Zealand. Like I'd love to see them do it. Uh but, you know, for all the reasons outlined, that could be tough. But for Adesanya too, I mean he mentioned here he wants to do it on his timeline. Like this guy has just gone through like like the Paulo Costa fight was only September, and then you're throwing in going up to 205 to fight Bl- Blahovich back in March. This fight was a pretty quick turnaround. This guy has earned a break, I think. If you want to kind of put the the title on ice till the end of the year,
0: um, yeah. And I think that was almost something he was implying there as well. It's like, look, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to go back home. That's and that's and that's what he's going to do for a while. So. And as you said, he earned it, uh, with a, a really great performance and just being active ch- as champion and a contender in, uh, light heavyweight. So yeah, good on him. And, uh, m- maybe by the end of the year, we can see him return.
1: Our second championship rematch was Davison Figueredo defending the flyweight championship against Brandon Moreno. They fought to a majority draw last December. It was a point deduction to Figueredo that, um, you know, if, if that point deduction had not been in there, uh, he would have retained the title that night. But both had extremely fast turnarounds uh, from their previous fights. Figueredo defends the title in November and comes back three weeks later to defend it against Moreno. Uh, for this fight, though... Um, Man, Brandon Moreno came out, and this was such a, such an incredible performance from Brandon Moreno. He is bringing the fight immediately and is dictating the fight with his striking, drops Figueredo with a jab in the opening round, and, and takes that round. In the second, there's a brief body lock takedown by Figueredo, and he's just holding as the crowd is getting very restless here. Uh, but Moreno is able to escape a guillotine attempt. And he gets his own takedown after a fence grab by Figueredo. Still gets him down. And Figueredo reverses to his guard. And he's working on top for the rest of the round. Uh, while Figueredo is landing some elbows from bottom. But um, I, th- I thought another Moreno round. I think some people were going back and forth with this one. Didn't really matter because in the third we got a conclusive finish. As Moreno got a takedown. This this was such a slick takedown and back take by Moreno as he got the body triangle applied look great and then locks in a rear naked choke and it is deep as Figueredo taps at two minutes and 26 seconds of round number three what an unbelievable scene this was and I can't help but imagine had this fight happened any earlier this year like can you imagine this this whole thing happening Phil this title win this speech afterward in the apex with nobody. (laughs) It's Uh, crazy to think about. Like, this this to me was, like, an all-time memorable moment in UFC history. Like, this... It was a... I'm not going to call it, like, a giant upset. I don't... I I think people gave Brandon Moreno, like, a credible chance in this fight, but they have a potential flyweight superstar that I don't think they've ever had at this division, Henry Cejudo included, Um, especially in Mexico. We'll see if um brandon moreno can uh kind of become a star in in the u.s but this this felt like the the launching pad of just this giant figure at at flyweight who came off as such a charismatic individual and this was a hell of a win over many people's fight of the year last year
0: yeah i mean everything you said uh i i echo his the performance was outstanding i mean you kind of got to talk about Davison Figueiredo not showing up here as well. Like it, it was, he, he the the volume was not there at all in the first round. He gave up uh, his top position very easily. Um, you know, he had such trouble making weight. He's had such trouble making weight in the past. You have to wonder what. That was going on with him outside of the cage, but uh, I don't want to take away from Moreno, who, as you mentioned, along with an amazing performance uh, during the fight, his post-fight speech was so incredible, so impassioned, it was and amazing. and yeah, I mean, there was you, there was people you know mentioning how they were they started crying because they were so moved by it, and you can totally see it, and yeah, having the first uh, Mexican-born champion is is. An- opportunity for the UFC and especially one who's so exciting in the cage and uh great on the mic as well
1: yeah it's it was very evident at the press conference on Thursday how popular brandon moreno was and at a point Dana white even like jumped in and said if you win on Saturday you are going to blow up in Mexico um th- this is one fill where again like the 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 situation with the pandemic um might uh, postpone this from happening this is someone that I I would absolutely want to have his next title defense happen in Mexico that's been a market that the company has gone after for so long and they went so aggressively with Cain Velasquez but they just they have never been able to tap into that market I think to their expectation level they have someone in Brandon Moreno that I I think that they they do have that key to that Mexican market now and I mean this this it was just an unbelievable presentation here. And a, quite the story with Brandon Moreno, if you trace back his roots to The Ultimate Fighter, where he was the last pick on that flyweight season. He was like the 16th seed in the tournament and gets beat by Alexandre Pantoja. And here he is, the flyweight champion, five years later. It's It's a remarkable story from a guy that briefly left the company, then came back, and just such a... Such a super charismatic individual. He's a broadcaster for the company. Like You you could not position someone that the UFC is more just ecstatic about that this is now the face of our division that at one point they were looking to shelve. And now they might have something extremely successful, especially when it comes to uh, the Mexican market. Yeah, it's, it, it's a, it's
0: an incredible opportunity and he's so young. Um, and all those th- reasons you mentioned his, his broadcasting skills, uh, you know, just sort of thinking off the top of my head, if the COVID situation doesn't allow for an event, you know, Texas is a great place, uh, to have Mexican fighters. Uh, Dallas Cowboy Stadium would be an incredible place. Obviously he couldn't headline that, but he, his presence on a card at that venue would definitely enhance. The show, So something like that I could definitely see uh, being materialized uh, sooner rather than later. But of course, doing a big event in Mexico City with a Mexican star is something that the UFC has definitely dreamed about for a while. And uh, this is the best
1: candidate to date. It feels like it's the most um, marketing potential they have ever had in a flyweight champion as this division is almost nine years old.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it, it, it sort of accelerated. I mean, we said it was like first it was Cejudo. I mean, it was this weird gimmick, but you know, this Olympic champion. And then Figueiredo comes out and he's so exciting. And they have these incredible fights. And, and now we have Moreno. So it's like the division has really ascended when it was on death's door. So it, it's pretty incredible how quickly that turned around.
1: They were discussing the idea of th- these two flyweights that that they could still meet a third time down the road. I guess the the question will be Figueredo is now that he is no longer champion, how bad is this weight cut for him? And it, does he start eyeing bantamweight? And that may also be contingent on, you know, for, for Brendan Moreno for his first title defense, like, yes, you have someone in Askar Askarov that would be, you know, from what he has amassed could deserve a title opportunity, uh, but a third fight for Figueredo, they might look at as like the most sellable fight that we have at 125 pounds.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess it depends on how sellable that is. I mean, there's also, uh, something to be said about building your champion. Now, Askar Askarov is no easy opponent, so it, it's not a gimme fight by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it, it's hard to see another match here when Figueredo technically hasn't won either of their two fights. So, a uh, immediate rematch. I mean, hey, Henry Cejudo was in attendance. I mean, what what, what if he decided to I make thought of that turn? one too?
1: Like, if if Cejudo came back, you do have like Cejudo versus Brandon Moreno is about as big a flyweight fight as you could put together.
0: I, I agree. I'm not sure though that if if Suhudo comes back, he would do it at flyweight, and, and even if it's a big fight, like he, it sounded like that. W- it really was a tough weight cut the last one he did uh, for the it's, Dillashaw fight.
1: It's it's a difficult weight class when you look at that. Like the names that are available, like there's a lot of great talent, but I mean, just not there, there are not stars until now with this potential of Brandon Moreno. So that. Like it feels like somebody that could be could be a very big deal um, and how big it is, um, you know p- part of that is having the the fight to sell to people uh, as well. So that will be very interesting, but it, it's an outcome that I think it greatly moves the flyweight division forward. And I think if you know it's it was not that long ago we were looking at the prospect of this flyweight division being dropped. I think it's never been on more solid footing than it is now.
0: I absolutely agree. And I mean, you know, last year, fight of the year, a new exciting champion in what might be go down as promo of the year.
1: Um, so yeah, only uh, things are looking up. Leon Edwards versus the returning Nate Diaz, his first fight since fighting Jorge Masvidal all the way back in November of 2019. This is a special non title five round fight. Uh, the first time that we've had a five round fight that is not a title fight nor a main event in the UFC. So, an interesting distinction there. And I mean, this fight, it was, it kind of showed you in a, like, this fight, if you were to watch it from start to finish, and you didn't understand the appeal of the Diaz brothers, this fight will explain it all to you. Nate Diaz lost 24 out of 25 minutes, but that 60 seconds gave this fan base so much hope that this guy will be able to come back and fight for as long as he wants, and it will still be a big deal. It was it was really, like, remarkable to, to watch this, because, I mean, this was, to me, felt like... Leon Edwards was just at another level and rightfully so, deserved to win this fight. But boy, was he in deep trouble in the, those final 60 seconds. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, it 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 looked like it was gonna go uh the other way. It looked like Nate was about to steal this fight. Um uh it didn't happen to the chagrin of the fans. <laughs> uh Edwards was that, able it to. It might hang on. it might
1: literally have like blowing the roof off of this place like this crowd (laughs) nate diaz was the biggest star on this show with due respect to adesanya anybody it was that nate nate diaz was on another level than anybody
0: yes now i will say maybe it was a little harsh to say he lost 24 minutes i mean he lost every round other than the fifth but i did think he had moments in rounds here or there he was able to land some shots play with you know do some of his taunting land at weird angles. He, he, he had more. Has he introduced a new
1: technique where you turn your body (laughs) and just hunch over, uh, to try and lure your opponent in? Is this going to be what is now taught by, uh, Greg Jackson and Javier Mendez and Eugene Behrman. Is this going to be the new technique we see forget, forget these low calf kicks. We've got, we've got something better. This distraction method.
0: I I, I mean, look, if, if, if you're just trying to get the crowd reaction, then then maybe we will see it from uh, some fighters. You know, uh, maybe we'll see more on a uh, uh, WWE programming before we see it uh, from a high level fighter. But I, it, it was part of the charm, right? It was part of the show that he was putting on. I think a lot of that stuff early is the Diaz brothers uh, getting rid of nerves. You remember when uh, Nate, uh, Nick fought um, Anderson and then he laid down like immediately just laid right and, down on the, Yeah on the like you know like I think that's just yeah just getting rid of nerves and trying to just you know you're you're in a fight right and the Diaz brothers fight best into the fight and I think so that's what he was sort of trying to do to get in there but uh uh Needless I, I to was say, concerned
1: midway through the fight that he was going to be losing the nerves in his lead leg because yeah. they were getting brutalized.
0: Yeah, there was a couple of – uh re- there was one really bad one that looked like it was going to, like, permanently hurt him, but – he was able to continue to press forward. I mean, it's unbelievable the will that he has. Now, and I, I should say we spent all this time talking about Diaz, but it really was a tremendous performance by Leon Edwards. And it's so unfortunate that the last minute is, is what a lot of people are going to remember because it should be setting him up for his title shot. But it, it sort of feels like a
1: little bit of air in the title as tires got deflated there. I I think that point is perfect, Phil. I think that's the story of this fight, is that coming out of it, everyone was focused on Nate Diaz and no one was thinking about the winner, Leon Edwards. And I think that summarizes it perfectly. Like, I do think, like, listen, Leon Edwards had a great fight. This guy is technically, like, you just watch him. He does things at such a high level that he just does everything right. He's got a terrific, like... His striking, he is ready for for anything that Nate Diaz was coming at him. He had his timing down. Like This was just a great performance from Leon Edwards. And it's not going to get the attention, I think, because of this uh, this final round. Because that was like the most exciting portion of this. But, I I mean, I gave Edwards all four rounds uh, to start, which I think most did. And at the start of this fifth, Diaz's leg is just totally red and then suddenly rocks him with this left hand and there's times when someone gets wobbled like this was Leon Edwards dude this guy was on ice skates and he was about to just plummet to the mat it's this place is going insane as they believe Nate Diaz might actually finish this fight Uh, but he was going against the clock here and Edwards was able to survive those final 60 seconds so Diaz was able to win this round and I think most scored it 49-46 but you're right Phil I thought that the final minute it probably undercut the the entirety of the performance by Leon Edwards and I think the unintentional winner of this fight was Colby Covington.
0: Uh because that sets him up as the one that yeah I mean it it I like mean, if you're Dana White s- and you were yes. po-
1: Dana was publicly pushing he wants Usman and Covington I think his decision was I think he only doubled down on, doubles down on that path because of you know this was a performance that it was a very strong one but I mean coming out of it I think I think honestly if you, if you were to poll people at the end who would you rather see get a championship fight after this one you would have people voting for Nate Diaz over Leon Edwards
0: I don't disagree you might have some people say uh, they want to see uh Floyd Mayweather get a title shot too <laughs> but but uh Uh, I just mean the numbers, you know, fans, you know, the countless people, there's a ton of Nate Diaz fans who aren't necessarily regular UFC fans who want him to fight for the heavyweight title. Um, but, uh, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, the only saving grace that there could be for, uh, Edwards is maybe this event is just really successful and there's just enough eyeballs on it that the UFC thinks he got enough rub that they can put him in the title fight.
1: Yeah, possible. I mean, it, it should go down as like a really, you know, good win for Leon Edwards. He's now, you know, he extends his unbeaten streak now to, you know, 10 fights, including that no contest with Bilal Muhammad. I mean, statistically, I mean, this guy should be fighting for a title. I just don't know if this is going to, this to me was not the performance that is going to make it undeniable that you have to go with this guy. Um, He's just someone that finds himself, I think, in a in a difficult position that's going to have to work so much harder than anyone else to get that eventual uh, title fight. And man, would I have loved to have seen a camera on Kamaru Usman for those final <laughs> 60 seconds of this fight, because I guarantee you this guy was praying for a Nate Diaz come from behind victory at the end.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, there's, he was, it was looking very green for a moment for him. And I don't mean the Nigerian flag that, uh, was, uh, nearby. Uh, but, uh, in the end, uh, Edwards gets it. Uh, it's, it's so tough to deny him. I mean, maybe he just needs to stay ready and, uh, take a, a a late replacement fight. Maybe that's the only way he's going to get a title shot. Damien Maya style. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean those are your candidates. It's it's Covington and Edwards. Um with Nate Diaz. Um, um like
0: one he, one Eric Marcotte would uh like to chime in and say suggest that perhaps if Stephen Thompson has a strong performance against Gilbert Burns on the Connor card, it's a it's another potential title fight that they could do.
1: Stephen Thompson is the other candidate. Um that I I think could find his way in there. I think that just comes down to the timeline and if it works out, I mean, he's fighting in four weeks. So in theory, um, you know, his, his name could definitely be in the mix as well there. So those are kind of the three you would be looking at for Nate Diaz. um, Like, do you look like you should look on paper. You should take away from this that, I mean, Leon Edwards was just in a different league than Nate Diaz. And I think anyone watching that, Would not care that Nate Diaz, if they announce a big fight for him at lightweight, which is a division he can go back to, um, or if he stays at welterweight, there's going to be such an enormous interest in Nate Diaz. Um, All all, People are only going to remember those 60 seconds if you are a Nate Diaz supporter, and you don't have to think about the four rounds he lost before it.
0: Yeah. Like, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, he's got his own group of fans that are independent of the sport of MMA. Um, and uh, they're super loyal to him and they will watch him uh, fight anyone. I mean, uh, you know, maybe this is an opportunity after a break to take to do the Masvidal rematch since Masvidal is coming off a loss. I mean, that's a thought. It's a pretty big fight, even even though they've kind has probably lost some star power. Um, and yeah, there's still always big fights for him. There's eventually the Connor fight. Uh, Poirier at some point would be a good fight because they have a history together. So I, I, there will continue to be big fights for Nate Diaz and I'll get excited for them. I was really excited for this. I was happy to see him. I I enjoyed the whole fight. I'm pretty sure it'll be fight in the night. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hope it's not. You know, we don't, it reminded me today. I was like, you know, we don't get this too often. I was like, there's a limited amount of Diaz Brother performances that we're going to get in our life. And so I was very thankful. I don't know why I thought of that today, but I was very thankful that we got
1: it. Well, yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee he's going to do some turnaround. I mean, there, you know, you got the two fights in 2019 and then didn't fight for a year and a half. So, I mean, with Nick, it's like, I'll believe it when I see it, of him coming back. It seems to be there's a lot of optimism he's going to come back. But that's, you know, it'll be the same thing. I think you see, I think it'll be even more uh, pronounced with Nick that there's going to be a giant interest to see him come back. But I think it'll be quite the reality check of where the sport is now um, and where Nick Diaz is, this guy who does not actually have a win since BJ Penn. I, I mean, again,
0: that the, clearly there the the matchup is what makes the most sense, and I think the name Robbie Lawler just springs to mind. Robbie Lawler springs to mind. If I'm going to put Nick Diaz in there, that was a classic fight, and I th- I think you know he's on the tail end of his career. I I think that would be a good one of, of
1: best the best of the bunch, I guess. It's just rare UFC does that type of matchmaking because it's mm-hmm. like where do you go with yes. that? I mean, yeah. Nick disappears or Robbie Lawler. I mean, there's, it's just so much in the UFC that it's, well, you take the winner and we move forward with them. And Diaz and Lawler, it's just like, it's a one night fight and not, not much or any long term benefit to that.
0: But if you're the, so you're the UFC. So I guess, look. Most likely you're the UFC, You're going to assume you're only going to get one fight out of Nick Diaz anyway, right? No matter what your contract is, because it's just, you know, it's been so long. So you treat it as such. And I do understand you want to make a name theoretically, maybe, but, but if it is, if because he has the potential maybe to be such a draw, then maybe it's worth it to do one big event on pay per view. If he can do a million buys or something, you know, with other support on the card, uh, it might be worth it to do that one. One time shebang.
1: Uh, next was Bilal Muhammad and Damian Maya. Damian Maya, his 33rd UFC fight. He has hinted that this could be his last fight, but not officially stated as such. And, you know, I, I thought he came out in the first round. The first was the closest of the three rounds. Uh, we had Maya, you know, standing with him and got his lone takedown in the fight. But then. He would try 20 more takedowns and below Muhammad would stop all of them. And it just seemed that Damian Maya, by the end of this fight was just a man that um, he was extremely exhausted from trying all of these takedowns and Muhammad just got stronger as the, the rounds continued. Um, You know, he found his rhythm in the second with his strikes and, The crowd would boo as Maya continually went for these single legs and Muhammad would punish him with elbows to the side of the head. Um, In the third, more of Muhammad's strikes, um, you know, he defended the single legs pretty effectively and was just timing as Maya would enter and pay for it each time. Muhammad would shift his stance and he's just piling up strikes. And this to me was just a story, Phil, of Damian Maya knew he had to get this guy to the ground and he couldn't he succeeded once and could never get him back down and there was not much of a an ability to shift on the fly and mohammed i scored this one
0: 29-28 uh oh well you were more generous than me uh i scored it 30-27 um i was actually pretty surprised that two judges gave maya the first round um but uh nonetheless yeah not uh, another another tough performance from maya who at 43, you know, going up against top 15 guys, I mean, yeah, he can hang in there. And I'm glad he didn't get knocked out, you know, Gilbert Burns style. But, uh, like, you have to really ask, like, what's the point of continuing at this, uh, you know, other than, you know, the financial incentive, which, hey, that's, that's, that's fine. But from a competitive standpoint for a world champion uh, in jiu-jitsu and, you know, one, you know, second all time in wins in the UFC second all time in submissions. I believe, you know, there's there, there, it would be nice to see him go out, um, you know, against a top guy who he lost to in a, you know, a tough fight. I think it would be perfectly fine to go out that way. Um, because I don't really see much more that you can do with him in the UFC. Cause I think he could probably still beat some up and coming guys, right? His jujitsu is going to be that good.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, his age is – people are going to look at that that number, but I'm with you. I think, like, there's – you know, there's many fighters that are not going to have that that takedown defense of a below Muhammad. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this was a clear discrepancy in where these two fighters are at their respective careers. And I don't see it getting much better for, for Damian Maya as you continue down this path. He's had – a very successful UFC run. Um, the fact that he won those three fights in a row prior to the Gilbert Burns loss. I mean, again, we talked about this on the preview show. Like he now has 11 losses, but it's a glaring number. But when you look at who those 11 names are, it's pretty elite company, pretty, pretty solid names that he has lost to. And, to me, again, if you're not looking financially, to me, th- this would have been the sign that you go back and you look at and just be, I am not at the same level I was before, and and you call it a day.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just flashed uh, the logo on my T-shirt. This is a Damien Maya T-shirt. I got this at a Damien Maya seminar in London, Ontario, two days. Tremendous coach. He was the only person there. There was 100-something people. Gave everybody terrific attention, terrific instruction. Uh tools I still use, uh, to this day. He was, uh, I mean, I, he was kind of the jujitsu God in MMA when I started doing jujitsu and I followed his career ever since he's, he's definitely been one of my favorite fighters. And I, I can say, I think, you know, clear headedly, despite my bias there that he is a UFC hall of famer. And uh, I look forward to that happening. And I do hope he can, he can sort of call it a career gracefully here.
1: Frank Mir had uh, quite the comment tonight. He said he believes Damien Maya is the best BJJ practitioner to ever compete in MMA. That's no 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 slight praise from Frank. Uh, yeah,
0: Mir. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I think and Frank Mir uh, will be a subject in the next fight, actually. Um, but uh, um, yeah, I would agree with that statement. I mean, obviously, we've had Jacare Souza and we've had um, you know. Fabricio Verdum, and, and other great competitors, but the success that Damian Maya had not only in jiu-jitsu competition, but in MMA, having that record at one time for the most submission wins in the UFC, you know, the toughest of the tough, uh, I think does establish him as the biggest BJJ player in MMA, uh, history. But I would love to hear some other people's thoughts on that because I'm sure there, there would be a good argument for some others.
1: So the flyweight championship fight provided our feel-good moment of the night. Uh, The pay-per-view opener in the light heavyweight division uh, provided our feel-awful moment of the night. As Paul Craig took on Jamal Hill. And Craig, early on, pulls guard. And he's got the arm of Hill trapped. And he's trying to just wrench on this arm. He's able to sweep to an arm bar. And from there, get a triangle. And he has got this arm locked and you see it just twist and contort. And he's drilling strikes. Hill's got his arm trapped and you can see him signaling to the referee. Uh, This is an Arizona based referee named Al Guinea. And who looks an awfully lot like Abe Vigoda. Did you notice that? (laughs) I guess so. Yes. Uh, And Hill is trying to signal to the referee And this goes on, you know, sometimes you will see a fight that you'll say afterwards when a guy's eating strikes that probably went like five or six seconds too long. This one probably went about 20 seconds too long and 20 seconds. When you have a, a a submission fighter, the level of a Paul Craig and what he can do to your arm may as well be an hour for the common person. This he finishes this. It's actually ruled a TKO. And you can see instantly, Jamal Hill has absolutely no use of his arm. It's just limp. It's just just attached to his body. And he has no power to, to even lift this arm. It looks brutal. Later, there was an update that he suffered a dislocated elbow uh, per his manager. Um, but this was... Um John McCarthy was very uh upset about this and speaking about the fact that, you know, was this the best referee you had to put in this situation? And when you go to different states that local officials get these big time opportunities. And Al Guinea is someone that the UFC has used in the past when they go to Arizona, uh, but he got a lot of criticism for this, uh, because I mean You're talking about a guy's well-being here, and this was a very, very uh, horrifying scene with this arm.
0: I mean, it was just so clear as day. You're just, like, wondering what he's looking at. And, I mean, he he even looked like he was kind of tapping at points. It's like, like, what are you watching? He was definitely,
1: like, signaling and doing the best he could because his arm was literally trapped. He could not tap with that arm, and it's just – I mean you, you you can make the comparison like there there was a, a very famous fight uh back in 2004 where we got a similar situation
0: Which one am I am I talking You said about? you were oh going to mention God. Frank Mir in oh, the next that fight. Frank I, oh that Frank Oh was not the same No so you uh, that's actually not the Frank Mir reference that I was referring to but that's Oh I thought uh, that's where you were right. going with, with No I no mean, no that's what no, I thought of he, Yes, yeah, so uh so to conclude your story or maybe you should conclude that one and then I'll fill you in on what my Frank Mir reference was.
1: Well, this was uh the 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 heavyweight title fight between Tim Sylvia and Frank Mir and Mir has he has the armbar and all of a sudden Herb Dean stops the fight. And you've got Tim Sylvia, freak, he's pissed. The crowd thinks this is an early stoppage. And then one of the most famous replays in UFC history, they show it in slow motion. And you actually see the arm of Tim Sylvia snap. So if anything, Herb Dean stopped it a second or two late, but he instantly identified it and stopped the fight. Um, and then everyone calmed down and realized, oh, Definitely not a late stoppage at all.
0: <laughs> no, not not at all, especially when Sylvia's arm was dangling there uh, for the post and, and wanted interview. the fight to
1: restart. That's what he was trying <laughs> to get. He was trying to get them to restart the fight uh, because he was, I mean, that just, it tells you like the adrenaline level of these fighters mm-hmm. and having referees that are in there and understanding of a situation like that. I mean, I don't want to pile on. With this referee, I mean, human error is going to happen, but this was this was bad. Yeah, uh,
0: absolutely. Um, in regards to my Frank Mir reference, it was really to Paul Craig, so that arm wrench that he was using, it would look like what has been called a mirror lock, which is the only... Frank Mir was the only person to get that submission in UFC history. And so Craig would wrench on the arm, and uh, it would force uh, a... Uh, Jamal Hill to roll in a certain direction and then Craig tried the armbar the first time and Hill was able to escape but then when it returned back to that same position Craig used the same arm wrench mirror lock to force him to roll but this time he was ready with the armbar caught him and that's what just annihilated the arm so really impressive jiu-jitsu from Craig who who was intentionally chaining things together he's that was clearly a move he works. He works that arm lock into a roll, into an arm bar, and it worked perfectly for him. Great. Style. It was it was
1: very impressive work by by Paul Craig, just kind of overshadowed with the effects of it. Uh but Craig is now quietly unbeaten in his last five fights. Uh he's coming off that TKO win over Shogun Hua. and you know, he's thirty-three years old, which is not it's not Super old in the light heavyweight division, but I mean he's he's putting together like a nice run for himself.
0: Yeah, and I mean even in the striking, it's improving. It's I mean it's he's never going to be a, a super fluid striker, but it, it's less awkward than it was previously. And this is a division that's uh, light on talent. So and he's a pretty exciting guy. I mean he you know they put him on pay per views. So I, I definitely see him uh, accelerating, accelerating with a a pretty uh, substantial name next.
1: They actually had the two stand with the referee for the reading of the decision. And dude, like Jamal Hill's arm is just like, get this man out of the octagon ASAP. It was just brutal. Like you could see his arm just looked mangled. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it was disturbing. And, uh, you know, spare yourself the uh, footage. You don't need to see that.
1: Uh, let's chat uh, quickly about. I got to see the televised prelims, but I did not see the uh, the early prelims. Um,
0: oh well, congratulations! Because I'll well, tell tonight you, tonight
1: was we had <laughs> nine undercard fights, eight of which went to the decision. Although um, in there we had, well, from my money, night. Phil was <laughs> the fight of the night, and that was Brad oh, Riddell and Drew Dober.
0: That was a great fight. Yeah that that. <laughs> the night was 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 moving at not a great pace, but uh, thankfully, uh, Riddell and Dober delivered. I mean, how could they not? We knew this was going to be a really good fight going into it. And, and uh, yeah, super exciting. Dober looked really good in the first, but then Riddell took over. And uh, yeah, very entertaining fight. Riddell, I mean, Dober's no slouch. So Riddell made a name for himself here. And uh, I, I expect to see him fight somebody pretty strong next.
1: Yeah, I mean, Drew Dober, I mean, God, you, this emphasizes, like, the depth of that lightweight division. He's coming off uh that loss to Islam Makhachev, and then his rebound is Brad Riddell. Like, that is the depth you're looking at, at lightweight. And Drew Dober, like, is a quality uh lightweight. Um, but nonetheless, um, I thought this, honestly, like, I thought this was, like, on, I wouldn't say, like, fight of the year, but. I would put it like up there. I thought this was just an excellent fight between these two. Uh, Phil probably had the same card as me. I thought Dober won the first, but it was Riddell winning the second and certainly uh, the third where he blasted Dober uh, and he was, he was hurt. It was a pretty clear cut uh, the scoring of this one as Riddell got the 29, 28 scorecards. Then we had um, maybe another uh, of the year award, but it might not be, for anything that starts with best. (laughs) That was Eric Anders against Darren Stewart. Uh, now to be fair, the third round was, was a good round. The first two were brutal. This was terrible. Uh, I thought they split rounds. Anders winning the second and the third. Uh, he came alive in the third round. So they at least had an entertaining end to this fight. Uh, but the first 10 minutes of this fight was clinch city and it was brutal.
0: You've said more than enough already.
1: Eric Anders wins 29-27, twice 29-28. Joanne Calder and Lauren Murphy. This was uh, an important fight because this could set up the next uh, flyweight contender for Valentina Shevchenko. Um, others have suggested this could produce the next uh, victory for Valentina Shevchenko. <laughs> uh, a close fight. Uh, you had – man, how, how did you go in the first round? I thought the first round was very close, and it's probably how you scored this overall fight was – it, how it came down in round one.
0: I gave this round to Calderwood. I just thought she had more volume, and then and and then the success that Murphy had uh, towards the mid part of the round, Calderwood was able to come back towards the last part. So I, I gave it to her. It w- I didn't think it was that close, personally. Like I kind of thought this was not a great decision, but it wasn't horrible. Like I had Calderwood a, the first as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, you and I both had the same scores. Uh Murphy dominated the second. She got the takedown and pretty much controlled Calderwood. And the third was an easy Calderwood round. I mean, her striking was great in this this final round, like clearly outpacing Lauren Murphy. Uh however, it was a split decision win for Lauren Murphy. Uh so two twenty-nine twenty-eights uh get her the win and I mean, it really just, it's a numbers game at flyweight. I mean, you can make the argument for Lauren Murphy. She has won five in a row, but I mean, all due respect to Lauren Murphy. Um, that is a wide variance of champion versus challenger.
0: I, yeah. I mean, is it any wider than the, than the other, you know, than Caitlyn Chukagian? Or, you know, I mean, and no disrespect to these fighters. It's just Valentina's on another level um and look but i'm okay i'm okay with her just you know mowing down these girls and making a name for herself and building up more of a resume and forcing people to demand that amanda nunez fight i mean and and hey lauren murphy you've put together you know you know i didn't give her the w but two judges did and that's what matters and you know she has put on a, a streak she has gotten better i can definitely say and look She's, she deserves a shot, like uh, uh, these other. There's no girls one else. Got it, I mean, right? the other so. the
1: other fight is like Cynthia Calvillo and Jessica Andrade are fighting in September, so like that's really all you're looking at. So, like, there's nobody else. It's it's either you do this Amanda Nunez fight again, or you keep Shevchenko in her division, and it's Lauren Murphy. So, I think Lauren Murphy. Uh, a lot of people would have thought Joanne Calder would have won this fight, but it's Lauren Murphy that very well could end up with a title fight.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's certainly not going to headline an event, but, uh, I look forward to, uh, 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 an exciting dance afterwards.
1: And then the televised prelims opened up with Movsar Evloev defeating Hakim Dawoodoo, uh, 29, 27 on all three cards. Uh, Ivloev just, um, a much better grappler in the first two rounds. The second I had 10, eight, uh, but then Dawadu uh, was able to win the third, stunning him with this left jab and rocked Ivlov, uh, who got a takedown and kind of a, a bit of a theme of the night uh, where we, we got several of these where someone was being dominant and then the final round hit and they ran into some trouble, but they made it to the end.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty impressive performance by Ivlov and uh, Dawadu, like he was in tough through those first two rounds, but Hung in there and started to, uh, you know, land some shots in the third, but ultimately, uh, it was more takedowns and, uh, pretty clear win. Um, another decision on this card. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, that was a pretty, that was an okay fight despite, uh, all, all things considered. There, there was some brutal ones before it.
1: Yeah, so I'll read off the uh, the results of the early prelims. We had Carlos Felipe over Jake Collier by split decision. Ferris Ziem over Luigi Fendramini by majority decision. Steven Peterson over 21-year-old Chase Hooper by unanimous decision. Terrence McKinney knocked out Matt Fravola in seven seconds, making it not the fastest, but um, tying it with several other fights for second fastest knockout in UFC history. The others, uh, Phil, that went seven seconds, Todd Duffy versus Tim Hag, Ryan Jimmo versus Anthony Parosh, and Mark Hominick versus the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung at UFC 140 in Toronto. Oh,
0: oh, look at that. We've got two Canadians uh, on on that uh, short list.
1: Um, And then (laughs) uh, the other fight was uh, Panny Kianzad over former title challenger Alexis Davis by unanimous decision.
0: Yeah, you don't need to watch any of the prelims other than the seven seconds that of that uh, knockout, and uh, well, maybe a few seconds afterwards because another ridiculous injury after a post-fight celebration.
1: All right. Well, there you go. That was UFC two sixty three, um, an entertaining uh, card, I would say, of the uh, the main card. I would say, like there were a lot of great performances, a pretty spectacular moment with Brandon Moreno. And Brad Riddell and Drew Dober, I thought that fight was excellent. So those would be my uh, my recommendations. Uh, what do you think overall? Final thoughts on the card?
0: I mean, Nate Diaz, like the top three fights are what saved this card, really. It was not going in a terribly fun direction. Uh, Nate Diaz was super exciting. It was great to see him back, as I already mentioned. Um, and then uh, the Brandon Moreno moment alone was incredible the main event i mean it was great to see izzy showcase his skills um and demonstrate that he is the champ and and you know it's his crown in the middleweight division but it wasn't the most thrilling of fights uh and that's largely because of vittori and how he approached it um so you know UFC has been on a pretty amazing run of really exciting pay-per-views. This is kind of one that is sort of like, it's, it's, it's okay.
1: Well, a harsh critic is one Phil Chair talk, but that's why you come here for the honest, the honest uh, praise and criticism that comes with every UFC card. Uh, where do you want to transition to now, Phil? Let's preview uh, what's
0: coming up and then uh, we'll get out of here because it's uh it's going to be three a.m. till we till we get to sleep, and Daddy needs to go to bed.
1: Well, we'll make this uh, this fairly quick for those that are listening live. So next weekend we've got the return of Chan Sung Jung, the Korean zombie, who is taking on Dan Ige. Two weeks from Perfect. now, it's the uh, man. It's it's the card you've been waiting for. It's Cyril Gaon versus Alexander <laughs> Volkov, and the big one next month. July the 10th, UFC 264. Uh, they did run a promo for it tonight. The third fight between Dustin Poirier and Conor McGregor. What else do we have on this card? We have Tai Tuivasa versus Greg Hardy. Steven Thompson versus Gilbert Burns. Arena Eldana versus Yana Kunitskaya. Sean O'Malley versus Luis Smoka, uh Kevin Lee versus Sean Brady. Nico Price versus Miguel Pereira. Jessica I versus Jennifer Maya Ryan H- Ryan Hall is fighting and Carlos Condit versus Max Griffin among the fights on this card
0: yeah uh, sort of in contrast to some of the ways that the UFC has put together uh, Connor cards where they've been light and Connor has been the only thing of value or the main event has been the only thing of value this looks like a card with a lot uh, to enjoy. So I think it, it's got the potential to do really well. Uh, historically, they've done big events on that weekend so uh, or around 4th of July. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a huge event. Uh, I'm looking forward to B- it. Bigger though.
1: than the January fight? Do you, th- do you see this one topping it?
0: Yes, I do. I think, yeah, I, I, I do. Cause now it's around is... 1.6, I think. That's what the first one did. Yeah. I mean, I don't see it. I don't know if it's going to do dramatically more, you know, 1.75, 1.8, something like that. Um, there's a lot of factors, the time, like, you know, what's going on that weekend. But, uh, I think having these other other fights is is going to help uh, a little bit. And, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Brian Hall, uh, that Steven Wonderboy Thompson fight is really exciting. Um, Yeah, so so a lot to enjoy and look forward to on that card.
1: We'll end it off on this. What? Because everyone is going to talk about what does this mean for Conor McGregor? I think, I think this is a really tall order for for Conor McGregor. I do not see. I, I can't say there is no path to victory for Conor McGregor. There certainly is. I just I see many many more ways for Dustin Poirier to win this rematch, and that inevitably is going to lead to well, what does this mean for Conor McGregor? I think that we can uh, just cut to the chase right now. And I think what you can learn from Nate Diaz tonight, we could probably apply to next month if Conor McGregor gets beaten once again by Dustin Poirier is that there will still be a gigantic demand to see Conor McGregor fight. Um, And I think tonight you have an opponent that he can easily go to after. Like, are you looking at this as – you know, a career-defining fight for Conor McGregor that a loss could send him uh, away from the sport? Or, hmm. like, how how significant is this fight for Conor McGregor? Because in the next four weeks, we're going to get all the hyperbole that this is the ultimate referendum on Conor McGregor.
0: Um, well, I think in terms... I mean, what it could... A victory would establish him as, you know, a championship contender, right? So... Yes. Th- from a legacy standpoint, you know, I mean look, he's already been the two time champ, but, but as we've mentioned before, he's never defended a UFC title. And I and you know, he's a student of the game. He knows the history of the game so much. So he wants that accolade. And if he were to lose this fight, it really kinda of takes him out of title contention. Um I don't think it sends him away from the game though, just based on what you know, like he said, he'll he'll fight anyone. He's he he'll call out Diego Sanchez for fights like it's it's ludicrous so I do think that he, he will continue to fight after this because he seems to enjoy it he doesn't I mean he's doing he's getting paid but it's not he's already got so much money so he's doing it for something more than just money and uh, he seems to love the sport and the and the hoopla and all that um a loss you know if he keeps losing it will take the luster off and he can't he's gonna people are gonna stop wanting to see him in main events. um, But he's an incredibly exciting fighter as well. So that's part of the appeal. It's not just that he's, you know, a brash talker. Um, So I, I think he still has a lot of future to go, even with a loss. I do think it's a tall order, as you say. But look, he, he was able to correct the mistakes from the first uh, Diaz fight in pretty short time and get a win in the rematch.
1: I wouldn't put it past him to do it here. Well, that will be our next uh, ufc card so saturday night july the 10th will be live right after that ufc 264 show phil as always i want to say thank you as well as all the people joining us live at this late hour especially if you're on the east coast as we clock in at 2:30 a.m eastern time as we bid everyone a farewell so phil thank you and to everybody we'll speak with you next month right after ufc 264